Welcome to the Green Acres podcast. We are so glad you're here. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today's message comes from Pastor Michael Gossett. If you have your Bible, will you open with me to 1 Peter? We're going to look at uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 12. Uh, you know, I love singing that song. The, actually, the, the last two songs, I don't know if you realize this or not, but uh, that living hope song that, that we just sang, it's straight out of 1 Peter. It's talking about this living hope that we have that is only in Jesus Christ himself. In fact, this living hope serves as this thematic thread that goes all throughout 1 Peter. Now, it has a backdrop because many times we think that 1 Peter is written because of suffering, that it's written because of persecution. You see, suffering and persecution is the backdrop that Peter is writing to this church in this region of all who could hear the words, read the words from Peter, that he gives them. He says that no matter what you are facing, you can have a living hope. See, this is what it really looks like to be anchored. To be anchored in life means that no matter what you are facing, that you can have a hope that endures. Now, who would love to have a hope like that? I would hope that every single one of us. But you know that so many times in life, when circumstance changes, when you have a change in your health, when you have a change in your house, when you have a change in your marriage, when you have a change in whatever could happen, there's this thread of living hope. You know, I don't know if there's a better example of watching a wavering hope, a hope that seems fluctuating, and it's with Abraham Lincoln. If you look at the writings of Abraham Lincoln from 1861 to 1865, you can see that there's this hope that comes out of the chute that is just absolutely incredible. And then midway through around 1862, 1863, 1864, it seems as if Abraham Lincoln is completely hopeless in the face of this battle, in this war. But then he comes back in 1865 and his hope is regained. I want to tell you what he says, uh, starting in his first inaugural address on March 4th of 1861. It says, the mystic cores of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the union. There is great hope. There is great confidence. And then he comes in and he says this. He says of August of 1862, he says, well, we are whipped again. I am afraid. He says this in uh, December of 1862, he says, if there is a worse place than hell, I am in it. He says in 1864, this war is eating my life out. I have a strong impression that I shall not live to see the end. You see the hopelessness that is on display here. But then... He regains this hope even in the midst of darkness and on his second inaugural address on March 4th of 1865, he says, with malice 
toward none. With charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds. There's hope flickering once again, and he ends it right here, less than two weeks before his death. He says on April 3rd of 1865, he says, thank God I have lived to see this. It seems to me that I have been dreaming a horrid dream for four years, and now the nightmare is gone. Listen, some of you are in that season of life right now. You just feel like maybe you've been living a nightmare. You've been living this horrid dream. But even in the midst of that, what if I were to tell you that no matter what you're facing, Peter teaches us that you can have an unwavering hope. That you can be completely anchored in this hope. If you don't mind, would you stand with me as we read this passage together? First Peter chapter one, starting in verse one, it says this. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us now? God, would you penetrate hearts? God, would you stir our affections for you in greater ways today. God, speak to us in ways your spirit only can. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated once again. You know, many times in life, when we think about hope, we, we seem to only think about hope in either a distant or future 
um, type. Like when we think about having hope, we think that it is something that is to come. But what we see in the theme of 1 Peter is that this living hope is not something that is about the future. It is not something that is only uh, about the future. It's not something that is distant, but rather it is something that is near to the follower of Jesus. That a living hope is something that is active. A living hope is something that is present in the believer's life. It's not based on your circumstance. It's not based on your emotion. It's not based on your physical location. It is only based on the anchor that is Christ Jesus himself. But if we are to understand this completely, we need to start where Peter starts. And what we need to understand is that we have hope in our sanctification. We have hope in our sanctification. This is where Peter begins. He talks about the identity of himself, and then he turns to the identity of the church, which is the ecclesia, which is the followers of Jesus, those who are called out from the world. And I think this is encouraging to us. It should be encouraging to you that Peter is the one writing this book. It is Peter, the one that is writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why is this so encouraging? Because it's Peter. Peter is the one who is much like us, or at least like me, someone who is quick to speak and slow to think, someone who is just common, uneducated. Okay, this is Peter that we're talking about. The one, oh, by the way, the one that just denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And then even though he denied Jesus, he pursued Jesus because he understood something important here. Peter is acutely aware of his need for grace. And all the more after his failure and then being welcomed back into the presence of God. All the more, even though he denied Jesus, that Jesus fully accepted him in all of his failures. Why? We need to understand that our sanctification and the hope of our sanctification has nothing to do with you by yourself. It has everything to do with what and who you are anchored in, and that is Jesus Christ. You see, it's not up to Peter to to gain forgiveness. It's up to him to surrender to the only one who can forgive, and that is Jesus. And this is why Peter, it is no coincidence that he opens this letter talking about receiving grace. And he closes the letter talking about receiving grace because in Peter's mind, apart from grace, this is all in vain. Now, this does not give us justification though to just live however we please. We're not called to live a life that is just aloof. We're not called to live a life that is not in constant pursuit of Jesus Christ himself. You know what the anchor does for us? The anchor serves in such a way that it gives us a unique freedom to pursue Jesus in our sanctification. That in your pursuit, as you are running after Christ in your life, that you can rest assured that no matter how hard or how far you run, even though we're aimed toward him, we can have a confidence that we are tethered to the person and work of Jesus himself. This is why he's addressing Pontus, Galatia, 
Cappadocia, all of Asia, Bithynia. He's, he's addressing all of these regions because it has nothing to do with where you are. It is who you belong to. That if you belong to Jesus, then you can have an anchored hope. You can have this hope in your sanctification. Why? Because he says this, Peter does. He says that it is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You know what's interesting about the first sentence of this opening? It's not just a salutation. It's not just Peter addressing uh, the crowd to let them know who it is writing the letter. In the very first sentence, in these first two verses, you see the Trinity at, at work here. He's talking about God the Father, how it was God who chose you. That it is the Spirit of God who is sanctifying you, and it is the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We see the Trinity on display even in the first two verses of this salutation. But I think it's interesting for you and I to understand that Peter starts with the foundation. If you want to be anchored in your life, you need to foundationally understand your identity in Jesus Christ. So think about that for a moment. He says that you are chosen. He says that you are an exile. And then he says you are dispersed. You have three nouns to describe the church. You have three nouns to describe the individual believer in Jesus Christ. You are chosen, you're in exile, and you're dispersed. You are chosen because it is God in his infinite wisdom, in his foreknowledge of you, that he chose you, that he pursued you. And if God chooses you, if God calls you out to himself, then let it be known right now that you are in exile. You are exiled from the world. I mean, we see this over and over again, but John 15, 19 says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, Jesus says, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it. The world hates you. Now you think about that for a second. If you are chosen by God, then you are exiled. What that means is that you're not called to be a weirdo for Jesus. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that you have to live as a monk in isolation from the rest of the world. No, no, no. You are chosen by Jesus so that you can be anchored in Jesus so that you may work for Jesus on his behalf. It's not to silence us because we're exiled. It is to give us a freedom knowing that this is not our home. Therefore, I don't have to please you. I hear you. Man, students are alive today. You see... That's what it looks like. Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have to worry about pleasing others if you're anchored in Christ. You don't have to worry about pleasing the world. Our job is not to please the world. Our job is to lead them to the streams of living water that is Jesus Christ himself. Because if we step out like this, because you're exiled, because you are a dispersed people, we have to know that we have hope in our security. You see, even though we step out, even though we are exiled, 
Even though we are dispersed people, listen, we can still have hope because we have hope in the security of Christ himself. This is what it looks like to be tethered to the living God, that we are tethered through this anchor. And I wanna read this to you in 1 Peter 1, 5, it says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, you know what this means? It means that you have no security on your own. The only guard in your life is Christ Jesus. The only one that can truly be a refuge for your life is Jesus himself. The only one that can hold you from the schemes of Satan is Jesus himself. All the other things, all the other parameters that we try to place for ourselves is the false security. But Jesus says, in me, when you are anchored, you don't have to worry about the vessel drifting, that you will remain in me because I am in you. There's nothing that can take that apart. Not even Satan himself can pluck you from the Father's hands. It is only being anchored to Christ. And you know what this does? This security provides for us a unique hope, even, even, in the midst of suffering. You see, we have hope in our suffering. I don't think suffering is any surprise to any person in this room. I don't think that facing adversity is uncommon. It is for every human. It's not just the follower of Jesus or the non-follower of Jesus. Suffering, adversity is known to all mankind. It's not preserved for the lost or the saved, but rather every person, it's just the one that is in Christ has hope even through it. He says this in verse six, Peter reminds us, he says, you rejoice in this. You rejoice in this. In the midst of cancer, you rejoice in the midst of bad news, you rejoice. In the midst of losing your job, in the midst of not going to the college that you wanted, in the midst of your marriage that seems to just be failing, in the midst of a daughter or a child who is running from the Lord, in the midst of all these things, you can rejoice. He says, even though now for a short time, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. See what Peter does is he's just reminding us of how temporal this life is. How short it is that even in the midst of adversity, that it's not going to last forever, but what will last forever is what you are tethered to. And that is Christ. But you know, adversity has this unique ability because suffering is not in vain. None of us long for it, but, but when you come out of it, you're always grateful for it. I, I know that that sounds just counterintuitive, but that's what happens to the believer. 
Because God uses it to strengthen our faith. And not one person is going to walk from this earth without facing adversity. Jesus promises us over and over again that we're going to face it. He says in Matthew chapter 7, and I, I share this at every wedding that I ever do. Okay, if I've done your wedding, you know this. Matthew chapter 7, because it talks about when the floods rise, when the rain comes. He's not saying when, he's saying it's going to happen. He's saying when it happens, not if it happens that the rain is going to come against you. He says, but if you are anchored in the rock, then it will withstand. But if you build it on the sand, it's going to wash away. There's this promise, but adversity, adversity exposes what you really trust. That's what adversity does for us. It exposes what we trust. You see, if you trust in anything else, if you're trusting in the shifting sand of this world, then that will be exposed when the rain comes. If you're trusting in the rock that is Jesus Christ, then guess what? That's gonna be claimed. That's going to be exposed when the rain comes, when the flood rises. He says this, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise. He's saying, listen, your adversity, if you trust in Jesus Christ, it will result in praise. It is a guarantee for your life. But adversity also exposes what you love. I mean, you think about this for a second. In verse 8, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. You know, there's this danger in the believer's life that we tend to love the things that God provides rather than God himself. That's going to be exposed. And let me just tell you something. This is the nucleus of the prosperity gospel. This is the epicenter of the prosperity gospel that if you love what you gain from the Lord more than the Lord himself, then all you're doing is exposing idolatry in your heart and in my heart. Because here's the truth. When those things that God provides, these earthly blessings, the earthly blessings that God bestows on you, when we start to love them more than God himself, then when tragedy comes, when grief strikes, when trials are are around us, then as soon as those things are taken away, our hope is then shaken because we're thinking to ourselves, what has happened? I thought that God loved me. I thought that God was good with me. I thought that I was pleasing him. But the truth is, that God does not just bless you here temporarily to love the gifts from him. God shows you the richness of his mercy so that you can taste the eternal rich riches of glory. See, that's what God is doing. He is aiming us toward eternity in this because this is what is true, is that we have hope in our Savior. He says this, it was revealed in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. He's talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's talking about the revealing of who he is, the revealing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And this, according to Peter, when you are anchored in Christ, that is the salvation that comes from Christ. When you are anchored in this, it does not matter what happens around you, that you can continue to walk in, in worship. You can continue to walk in Christ because you are tethered to your salvation that is in Christ. See, this changes everything about the way we worship. This changes everything about the way we walk with Jesus. You know, I was first really made aware of this in my own heart when I was in Burundi a couple of years ago, which Burundi, by the way, um, is the poorest country in the world. Number one, poorest country in the world. And we go over there and we have a small team with us and I'm preaching it there at this church, this Burundian church. And I walk up to the church and I'm just wondering you know, where are, we, where are we going to gather at? Because it's kind of unclear. And they have, they have no building. I mean, it's 100 degrees. It's just in the, in the blistering sun. They're, they're meeting on a, like a concrete pad that's just not finished. No roof, no AC, no guitars, no drums, no lights, no fog machine. I mean, how did they worship? They had this joy that is inexpressible. They were rejoicing in their suffering. And it's not because they were happy about the song selections that day. They weren't happy about um, who was leading, who wasn't leading. They weren't happy about any of that. They were in awe of not the temporal things that God provided, but they were in awe of the things that Jesus provided for all eternity, that is a life with him. They were so humble in spirit that they could just not believe that why would Jesus ever save me? And because of this truth, because they were anchored in this truth and God's grace and his mercy, all they could do is come and worship. All they could do is cry out to the Lord and say, Jesus, will you please save me? God, I'm here to worship you in spirit and in truth. And it's because they are in all of the fact that the God of the universe would look down on them and save them in church anytime that we are not tethered and anchored into that truth that Jesus is our Savior, then your worship is in vain. My worship is in vain. And you know what happened? I left that church that had no offering, that had no money to fix anything. I left that church not feeling sorry for them. I felt sorry for me. I felt sorry for the church in America. I felt sorry because I all I can think is, Jesus, I don't even worship you like this, and I know better. I mean, I'm just completely convicted that I complain about the worship. I complain about how I come to church. I complain about these things. And the Lord just wrecked my heart and said, it is not about you. It is about who you are anchored in. And if you're anchored in anything else, then your worship is void. And I'm just going to tell you, the Lord had to root that out of my heart by just watching these Burundians with nothing be in awe of Jesus. You being anchored in Christ starts here. It starts with your salvation. 
There's so many times that we try throwing out anchors across this world. These anchors that never dig in deep, these anchors that never make it to the bottom of the sea, we just throw out anchor after anchor. But unless you're anchoring in Christ and your salvation, you're not going to have hope. This hope that we speak of, you're not going to have it. My encouragement to you today, if you have never given your life to Jesus, you know you have no hope. I want to talk to you about that right after this service. We just pray with me right where you are. Lord Jesus, we ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would teach us what it truly means to be anchored in you. God, our hope, our ambition, our worship, and all of our lives, God, that it would be anchored in no one but you, nothing but you. So, Father, would you reveal those things to us? God, would you expose where we are not trusting you? Would you expose where we are not loving you completely? God, I pray for the person that's walking through suffering right now. God, I pray, Jesus, that you would speak to their heart. Remind them that you are near. God, for the family that is struggling, God, would you comfort them? God, for the marriage that needs healing, in the name of Jesus, God, would you heal? Speak to us. And we give it all to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we wanna help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, maybe you need to figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres. Whatever that decision is, we want to come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, we want to walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.